right. Good morning, everybody. Anybody notice the chairs were different? Raise your hand if you notice the chairs. <laughs> I don't know who did that. Somebody snuck in the church and changed the chairs up. Somebody did say, I think it was Mike, said uh, you need to put a trigger warning. You just can't walk into the church and make that kind of change without telling people what's going on. So whoever needs a trigger warning, um, here's your trigger warning. <laughs> so uh, I'm talking today about community groups, of course. Uh, as we gear up for this, we, we put a priority on this every time, every session, every time we do community groups, we put a, we put a priority on it. And uh, there's really interesting scripture uh, in Philippians where Paul's writing to a church, and this is what he says. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. So he's, what he's saying is, he said, I'm repeating something I've written to you already. It's not like I haven't said this once. He said, so I'm writing this to you, and I'm saying it again. And he said, for me, that's not tedious. It's not hard for me to do it. Um, but for you, it's actually safe. So why? One reason why we do, um, why we do series at DCF is because it, it gives us a chance to speak into a, a specific area or scripture or concept um, over time. So I, usually it's about two to four weeks. Sometimes we go as long as six weeks. And the reason why we do that is we're speaking into the same thing sometimes with different speakers, sometimes from different perspectives, but we go after something because we're trying to build foundations in your, in your life. So this morning, we're trying to build a foundation about community, why community is so valuable, why we do small groups, unfortunately, in, in the Western world is because we often don't do small groups naturally anymore. We used to have uh, front porches. Uh, I grew up with my grandparents having a front porch, and they would sit on the front porch, and they would talk to everybody who came in or came by, right? And they would, talk, they would talk to people sometimes for hours. They would invite them up onto the porch. They would sit down. They would have a glass of tea, sweet tea, because it was the South, right? And, and they would just have conversation. We moved to England, and we went to England, and the people we rented our flat from lived on the other side of it, and often they would invite us over for tea, whole different kind of tea. <laughs> it was hot tea, and I had to put sweetener in it. But um, same thing would happen. We would just have conversation. We'd talk sometimes for hours. And so often now in the Western culture, we've moved away from that. One is we're so busy. We're so, so busy. We're doing so many things. So often we don't have time is what we say. But the truth is we don't make time for community. And so it doesn't happen naturally often. So part of what we do as a church is say, how can we push this? How can we drive this? How can, how can we challenge you guys to say, hey, this is really, really valuable and I need to make time for it. So let me just start with a biblical foundation for this. That there, there is a God, some of you guys might not be aware of this, if you go to church for a while, you'll figure it out, right? But there is a God, and it's interesting that he is a God not who loves community, but he's a God who actually is community. So listen to this passage, start right, right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1.26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. So this is the triune God, right? Um, he's already in community, with himself. <laughs> and I know that's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes, right? Uh, my favorite scripture is uh, uh, where two or more of me are gathered, there am I in the midst of me, right? That's not really in the Bible. But my point is, uh, we also are, are a triunity, right? There's something about us, our, our body, our soul, our spirit. And we, we kind of get that in some sense, but we forget that God was in community before he ever made man. He didn't make man because he needed somebody to fellowship with. He was already in fellowship, right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful fellowship. 
And so he didn't need to make us. He wanted to make us. And then things went south, and now we're in the journey. So the Scripture teaches this whole journey of, of a broken relationship and then a restoration and a redemption. And at the very end, what we started with in the garden where God was literally walking with man in the, in the cool of the day, this beautiful time, all of that where we're broken in sin and fellowship is broken, all of that gets restored because of what Jesus did on the cross. And at the end of everything, when it's all said and done, we're back together again, walking in the cool of the day. Right? So this is a picture of God who, <clears throat> who is unity. Who, he doesn't just love it, but because it is who he is, he designed us to walk in that unity as well. So God's just not just interested in community. He is community. And so he's wired us with a hunger. Every single one of us are wired with this hunger for relationship and, and togetherness. Uh, we are literally ravenously relational. And if you don't have that, something begins to go wrong inside your psyche, right? So everybody's like, uh, when, when COVID kicked in, you know, all the introverts said, man, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, <laughs> right? I have to stay at home. I don't have to talk to anybody. This is so amazing. Like uh, my friend Jeremy back there in the back is one of the biggest introverts I know. Um, and a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two after uh, COVID started, I'm like, hey, how you doing? He goes, you know, <laughs> um, I could use hanging out with some people, actually. And I'm like, wow, you know, he actually said that? You know, that's pretty impressive. But that's just kind of the picture of all of us. If you, if you are like my wife, who is very extrovert, she makes me look like an introvert. She's so extrovert. She, if she sits at home too long and doesn't connect around people, her batteries begin to drain right? And so, so the truth is, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all were designed to be in relationship with one another. Jesus prays this prayer. You see this in John 17, 11, prays this very interesting prayer about believers. He says, now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world. So I'm leaving, going home to heaven, but you guys as disciples, you're still going to be here, right? And he says, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. Why? so that they will be united just as we are. So there was this picture, God said, look, I'm, I'm leaving all these guys here, right? I'm coming to heaven, I'm leaving them here. I've left my spirit with them. And so because of that, now my prayer is protect them in your name. Why? So that they could be in this togetherness in the way that we enjoy togetherness. They could have community the way community was designed to be had. And he, he says again, a little bit further on, Verse 20 and 21, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. They're going to go preach this gospel, make disciples, what he called them to do, Matthew, uh, the end of the uh, book of Matthew. And then he says this, I pray, this is Jesus' prayer for all of us as disciples, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, right? So his, his prayer was, there's this, there's this place of community that very different people can come together. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, even though it's a triune God, each, each person of the Trinity is different than the other person of the Trinity. And again, I know that's hard for us to wrap our head around, right? But the same thing is true of us as people. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. We have different strengths. And yet, Jesus' prayer was that every single one of us would find a unity in him that was so powerful that it would literally be like the Trinity. There would be a togetherness. They're still separate in, in personality. You obviously understand that. But there would be a togetherness that would be so powerful that it would literally look like God. So he, he goes on. He said that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In other words, if they can find a unity like that, 
the world is going to look at that and go, I don't know what that is, but something inside of me longs for that as well. So what is community exactly? So there's a couple definitions. Um, The original word comes from a Latin, and it means literally the state of being in common, having things in common, similar values, similar goals, similar direction, that kind of thing. And the Old English word comes from a word that means a partner or colleague. And listen to this, literally one who lays down money in a joint enterprise. In other words, this fellowship, this colleague thing, is that you are choosing to invest together into a common inheritance, right? That you are taking something that's valuable in you, you're putting it together with someone else, that they have put some value, something that costs them something, that when they put it together, it's a common goal and it's a common destination, and ultimately, it's a common inheritance. So, the question that is begged so often is, well, what does that look like in the church? What is God after? So often, what we, if we're not careful, we talk about uniformity rather than unity. So uniformity is, if you look at uh, denomination is a big word, right? You use the word denomination for churches, but you also use it for money. So what is it about a denomination of money? And it's the same thing, right? It's about the same. That's what that's about. So uniformity is about being the same. You have to believe exactly like I do. You can't differentiate from anything else. You have to believe. You have to do. Church has to look the same everywhere you go. It's kind of like, in some ways, it's like a franchise. Anybody ever been to McDonald's? Don't admit it if you have, but <laughs> you just went there to play, right? You didn't get the hamburger. You just, anyway, so, so when you go, if you go to a McDonald's anywhere in the United States, it's going to look almost exactly the same. The burgers are going to taste the same. There's so much uniformity in the way they train their employees to do it that it's going to taste the same. That is on purpose, of course, right? But if you go to a McDonald's in England, I don't know if they use different kind of meat or whatever, but when I was there, it tasted different, right? Some of that may be mad cow disease. I'm not sure how all it works. But the point is, is that even in their attempt at uniformity, at some point it's so diverse and it's so far apart and so culturally different and so many other things that get involved that even then it's difficult for them to have uniformity, right? But they drive towards it. So what's the difference? That's not what God is looking for in the church. He's not looking for uniformity. What he's looking for is unity. And those are very, very different even though they sound similar. So unity is a harmony. It's an agreement between people or groups or things. Harmony like in musical instruments. As as you notice up here, I've been in uh, service sometimes. uh, As a matter of fact, I was leading one time. And I was like, this sounds really bad. And I couldn't put my finger on why it sounded so bad until I realized I'd put my capo on the wrong place on my guitar. And everybody else was playing in the one key, and I was playing in a different one. Right? Well, it was their fault. They should have adapted. But... But my point is, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was doing it right, you know, but I was so off, it was just so bad, I figured it out, stopped, changed it, and everything was good. So, but here's the thing, unity is about everybody doing the exact same thing. If that's the case, then why do we have a band? We don't need a band, we just need one person, Right? But if you, want, if you want uniformity, that's what you do. You just get rid of everything else or you make them exactly the same. And then if you make them exactly the same, the question is why? Why would you do that, right? So here's the thing. Unity is different. Unity is about a similar vision or a same vision or a same goal or a same destination or a same inheritance, right? It's about putting everything, even though you're all different, it's about putting it in together to go after a similar thing. And so it's the state of forming a complete and pleasing whole. 
So harmony is a beautiful thing. If you ever go to, to, a, a, you know, to a really big event where there's a lot of people on stage playing, especially when it's a, a, a concert that, that you know, everybody's playing stringed instruments and they're playing, all, I mean, they're playing so many different instruments. And if somebody's off, if they're playing in the wrong key or they do something different, all of a sudden it stands out and it stands out in a bad way, not in a good way, Right? And so, but when it's done well, what happens is the whole thing, you walk away not thinking about how amazing the violinist was, even though they are. You walk away going, wow, whoever wrote this music and put this all together, man, they were talented and gifted. Because I walked away feeling something. It went deeper than just that one instrument. It, went, it was so much bigger than that. And this is what God's after in our life. He's after unity as opposed to uniformity. God doesn't need you to be the same as me. As a matter of fact, he desperately needs you to be you. And so often churches, we try to get you to be exactly like the pastor or exactly like whatever the denomination says, and God's not into that at all. He's about a harmony, a similar vision, same direction, same goal, but he doesn't need us to be the same. As a matter of fact, he intentionally made us different, so there could be a harmony. But can I just tell you, if you ever play in a band, harmony takes work. It doesn't come naturally. It's difficult sometimes. So there's this picture, we talk about this all the time in marriages, um, there's this picture in, sa- in sailing uh, I discovered. I always thought, you know, because I didn't grow up near the ocean, um, I always thought when a sailboat was moved, it was moved because the wind came in the back of the sail and it pushed it forward. That's always my thought, right? And then I talked to a guy who actually sailed, and he goes, that's not at all how it happens. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, you can sail actually against the wind. I'm like, sorry, I don't know a lot about physics, but that's impossible, <laughs> right? But it turns out the way it works is because the sail is not the only thing that's at work. There's a sail and there's a rudder. And what happens is they are opposite and against, driving toward the same destination. So this, the pressure on, of the water against the rudder and the pressure of the wind against the sail and the tension that is created between the two of them is what drives the boat towards a destination. So often in the church, we have tension in the church, right? Why? Because it turns out we rebel against uniformity. We don't like it. Well, some people do. It's easier. But for the most part, we rebel against it. So what God designed is he designed this thing where I'm an extrovert. We do this all the time in our meeting to bring Jeremy back into the program again. Um, Jeremy and I will be talking, and I'm, you know, I'm more of, of an extrovert. He's more of an introvert. And we'll have some conversations, and he'll talk less than me, <laughs> right? But if we don't pay attention, he won't talk at all, and I'll be the only one talking. And then if, if that's the case, then why is Jeremy even in the meeting, right? So I have to back up and create some, some unity, right, and say, let me give Jeremy some space to speak. Jeremy has to say sometimes, hey, Dave, can, can, we, can I just speak to that for a second because you've been talking for an hour now, right? <laughs> and so in, in between that, what happens is we now are working opposite and against personality-wise. Gifts and strengths the same way. In a marriage, is, it's exactly the same way. In a small group, it's exactly the same way. And perspective, your perspective as a violinist is going to be different than a perspective as, you know, as a drummer. So, so you're going to play different instruments based on your gifts and your strengths, but what God has designed that to work in is to actually work in tension. Tension doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something's happening. And sometimes when tension comes, there has to be communication. There has to be conversation. There has to be some forgiveness. There happen, happen, has to be some reconciliation. Why? Because opposite and against sometimes create some challenges and some problems. 
but it's God's design. God designed us to be different. And in conversation, something about our humility says, you know what, you're different than me, but you have value just like I do, right? But what we tend to do is judge people by our own strengths, our own gifts, our own culture, right? Because remember the joke I made about how the English are doing it so badly when they make tea hot? How dumb is that to, put, to make tea hot, right? And then the Yankees, they, they make tea cold, but then they expect you to put sugar in cold tea, and it's like, that's not going to be sweet tea. That's going to be unsweet tea till you get to the last drink, and then it's going to be too sweet tea, right? <laughs> right? So, so here's the thing. Just because we're different doesn't mean we're wrong. But in that opposite and against, what we find is the only way that works in the kingdom of God is to have the same destination. My father-in-law bought Karen and I uh, kayaks. We, he said, hey, I want to get you something for your anniversary. What, what can I get you? you? You basically have everything. You know, you take care of yourself. But I want to get you something. What do you need? So, you know, it's funny you should say that. We've been looking at kayaks. And so he said, hey, to help your marriage, I'm going to buy you a kayak with two seats. And I said, that will not help our marriage at all. As a matter of fact, that's probably going to cause a divorce, right? So what we need is we need two separate kayaks, but the same river. See what I'm saying? So the problem is it being different. Karen and I are vastly different in a million different ways. But because we're heading down the same river, then we can work together. Sometimes she, she goes out front, sometimes I'm out front. And this is true of all of us and how we're all different. Sometimes you need, you know, sometimes the introvert needs to lead, sometimes the extrovert, sometimes the person who has compassion and love and, and kindness and, and a mercy gift can walk with somebody for a long time. They need to be a part of that small group because somebody desperately needs that. And then there are other times that person who has a leadership gift and that strength that's challenging comes and just kicks them in the tail. But it turns out that you both need to be kicked in the tail, right? And you need someone to put their arm around you and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Your butt's going to quit hurting in a minute, right? <laughs> but the good news is you're heading in the right direction. So I'm the kind of guy who wants to kick people in the butt, right? Maybe you are too. And I look at everybody who doesn't want to kick people in the butt, and I'm like, why are you guys such wimps? Come on, stand up. Don't be afraid of confrontation. Say what needs to be said. Let's get it done. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And then somebody looks at me and go, they've been kicked in the butt so many times that their butt is swollen and they can't walk, right? And they just need to sit down for a minute and I'll sit with them, you go kick somebody else in the butt, right? And that's what it takes. It takes both, now trust me, I also have compassion when compassion is needed because I have to hear the voice of God and go, my tendency is this direction. But God, if you're saying I need to do something different, I will submit to that even though my tendency, my strengths, my gifts, my, my whatever, all of that needs to be submitted to Jesus. So you get it. And, and as we grow and mature, what we find is a little bit more balance, of course, and even in our, own, our lives and our own strengths. But the point is, without someone else in the, in the program, someone will not get what they need. They're always going to be missing part of it. So what does unity in the body look like? This is a scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Again, Paul's writing to a church to help them understand this. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So he said, I'm not coming with my own strength and my own authority. I'm appealing to you from Jesus. And he says, to live in harmony with each other, not be the same, but to live in harmony. He's saying, this is going to be difficult. You're going to have to learn to play in the same key, right? <laughs> you're going to have to learn to play on the same rhythm. You're going to have to do something about, you're going to have to work on this. And he goes on, he says, 
Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So how do you do that? The only way you can win is, again, you have however many kayaks you need, you just need the same river. How is it possible? Here's another scripture in Ephesians. It says, there is one body and one spirit. So how do we do this? The answer is, we take our marching, our marching orders, not from one another, or what you think or what I think, but from who Jesus is, who God is, and what he's saying for our lives in our direction. So we as a church, we have, we have a vision statement that says that, that we transform people, how? By encountering grace and the Holy Spirit. Does that mean we don't do anything else as a church? No, of course not. But our focus is on grace and the Spirit of God to see transformation come to people's lives. That's what we do. We do that whether it's the worship team, we do that whether it's production team, the kids' church, or anybody else. There are no silos at DCF. And we challenge people who say, well, you know, I can't do that. I can't work with the other teams. Man, listen, you're not doing this on your own. You're doing this in harmony with the rest of the church to accomplish the same goal and the vision. We get it. He goes on, he says, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith. You don't, get to, you don't get to tell me what God's like. God's told me what he's like. He has given me a revelation of himself. You, you can help me understand that revelation more. That's fine. We need that. But you cannot give me the faith. You can't teach me the faith. You, I have to recognize that a faith has been given to me. It's not your version of it or my version of it. There's one faith, only one, right? So he goes on and he says this. There's one God and Father of all. Remember I started with, we're going to make, God said, we're going to make men, mankind, like us. <laughs> now he comes back and he says, one God, the Father of all. So think about that Say He literally contradicts himself, it seemingly, in the same scripture. One God, the Father of all, right? Even though he's a triunity. And then it says, who is above all and through all, and in you all. So here's the picture. The picture is you don't get to choose how this works. You, you're not the conductor. There's one conductor. You're not him, <laughs> right, or her. So what that means is you have to decide whether you're going to submit. If you're playing violin, let's say you're a phenomenal violinist. Good on you, right? Go out and make singles, whatever you want to do. Make a ton of money and never play in an orchestra. That's fine, but it was never God's intention, right? So the picture is, doesn't matter how good a violinist you are, if you don't play what the conductor has given, then you can't be part of the orchestra. You will be single, you'll be by yourself, and you'll be the worse for it. So one God above all. God says, this is my direction. You don't get to, tell, you, you don't get to decide who God is or what he's like. He's given us a revelation of who he is and what he's like. So when somebody says, well, my God, no, no. <laughs> no, you, you can have my God all you want, but it can't be my truth versus the truth. It can't be my God versus the God, because there's one God, and he's the Father of all. The good news is he's in us, and he wants to work through us. So here's what we've discovered in 
30-something years of church, this is true of, in terms of a revelation of what church has been like all along, that the way God designed life change to happen is in small groups. What's happening this morning is I'm preaching a message. It's very apostolic in the sense that it's big picture, it's foundational, it's driving us toward vision, the same vision, the same direction. That's part of why God puts a leadership in a church, to obey what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is the direction I want this church to go. And we come alongside as elders and we say, absolutely, Lord, we want to do that and we want to say yes. We want to, we want to move in the direction that you've called us to. So that's what we do. So here's the thing. Acts 2.46, we see two different ways this happened. This is kind of like a temple meeting. Even though this is not a temple, this is not a sanctuary, this is just a building, you are the temple and you are the sanctuary. Remember that, right? You didn't come to church this morning. You are the church. You came to a meeting where the church would be right? This is not the church. This is just a building where the church makes use of it. And one day this building will go away and the temple will still be there, right? You get it. So this is what he says. This is uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. The, only, um, the only, only place that we have God showing us what church world looked like in the early days, right? So this is God saying, hey, you want to know how church ought to work I'm going to give you a picture of the whole book of Acts, of how it began, all the transitions it made. Uh, it started with no deacons, and then somewhere around Acts chapter 5 and 6, God says, you know what you guys need? You need deacons. So he establishes a whole new form of leadership that nobody had ever seen before, right? And he puts it in there, and it was designed for the church for the rest of the time we're here. So thank God for deacons, amen? <laughs> right? And so God says, this is a picture of what church life looks like. So this is what he said. He said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So this big picture meeting, right? And the last thing he said in that scripture was, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the picture God says was, I love these kind of meetings, these temple meetings where there's vision, there's direction, there's an encounter with the God of heaven. There's, it's so beautiful, it's big, it's, you know, it's massive, it's all those things. And I also love it when you sit down and you have a meal together. Just to, How many people can you fit at a table? We do this when we go to lunch. You know, sometimes we go to lunch after church. And the rule at DCF is if you overhear lunch plans, you are officially invited. How it works at DCF. That's how communities, how family works, right? We get it. But here's the thing. Sometimes there's too many of us, and they won't sit us at one table. Even if they do, if you're sitting at this end of the table, and you see those you're not talking to those people. If you are, you're rude, <laughs> right? <laughs> Stop it. So, so what does that mean? There, that means that if you're going to eat together, there has to be a, a, the few of you who can sit down and eat together. Why? Because it brings where this brings, the, the temple meetings bring grandeur and, and, and excitement and power and, you know, something that's so much bigger than yourself. What are these small group meetings doing? They're bringing intimacy and connection and revelation of one another. Like you learn things about people and you, you're, you're much more forgiving with people when you know the journey they're on, Right? Like you're in big church and you're like, why are they always like this? Nope, they, they never talk. They hardly ever do any of these things. People come in and then for a season, they're like really kind of down. And you're like, why are they so down? I don't understand. They need to, you know, if you've got my personality, it's like, come on, come on. What's wrong with you? Get busy. Come on, you know, kicking the butt. Woo, right? <laughs> and then you get into a small group with them and you begin to hear their journey and you go, wow. The fact that they're not dead is a miracle. Right? <laughs> right? 
So you know the journey. So what happens is there's mercy and there's compassion, there's kindness that comes out of your life and it, and it and also ministers to one another. It's a place where you can bring your strength more readily. Even in our Sunday mornings, you can bring your strength. I don't know if you noticed, but when Karen was down here, we're overseeing the service. She's taking the lead in that. And that means people will come up and say to her, hey, I feel like God is saying this or doing this. What do you think? And our job as elders to administrate what the Holy Spirit is doing in a meeting, right? This is one of our jobs, to oversee a meeting. What we're trying to do is say, God, what are you doing here? So sometimes we'll say, hey, thanks, but Dave's going to be preaching on that, so there's no need for you to come up and share it, right? Sometimes there'll be four or five people who come up, and they'll have the same theme. They're all hearing God in different ways or different scriptures, and we bring that up as a theme. Why? Because all of us, all of us can serve and bring our strength together to, to see what God is doing. That's the picture of how we do it together. But in a small group setting, there's, it's way easier to say, I have something I feel like God is doing, or I want to pray for this person. Listen, you can fake it on Sunday mornings. I know some of you guys are like, no, you can't. You can so, I've been doing this 30-something years, I can fake it too, Right? How's it? How are you doing, Dave? I am blessed and highly favored. I am the head and not the tail. I'm rah, 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 because I've learned all the phrases, right? And I've also learned that you, I've, I should be happy. I'm the pastor, <laughs> right? That's just not true. Sometimes I am very unhappy. I still got to do what I got to do, right? And I don't have to burden you with all my problems and issues. But if at some point I'm not vulnerable with somebody all my problems and issues are going to pile up on me until it, it just literally takes me out. And that's what typically happens. So in a small group setting, the setting that, Jesus, that God's talking about, these, these messages and these, these meetings on Sunday morning are amazing. They're beautiful. I love them. We're not changing that. But at the same time, we have to drive this to a place where you have someone in your life who knows your issues and loves you anyway. Right? You have to be that person who knows somebody's issues and loves them anyway, right? That's what you need. Another passage, very similar, just a couple uh, chapters down, Acts 5. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So Sunday mornings is not just the time that we teach Jesus being the Christ. In your small groups, praying for one another, loving on one another, leaning in, taking people in a direction toward growth and maturity and discipleship, that's also part of the program. So let me just finish with three things that small groups can bring you, okay? Just, we, do, we call them community groups, but it's just a small group of people meeting in the name of Jesus. So three things. First one is simple. It's just connection. I told you before, our culture devalues relationships. One way I know this, since COVID, there's been a massive movement toward working at home. How many of you guys work from home? Raise your hand if you work from home. A bunch of you guys, right? That's not quite half, but that's pretty representative. Uh, and this is a small town. In, big, in bigger cities, it's even more so, right? More people are working from home. So here's the problem with that. I like working from home. I like not having to put my pants on. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. I love it. But there's, there's something, I, I would come in here during COVID, and I would go, my office is back here in the back, and I would come in, and there's nobody else on staff, so that means there's nobody here, that means this whole huge building is all mine, which is some days is amazing. I can focus on things, nobody interrupts me, nobody bothers me. But after doing that for a little while, I realized two things. One, I'm running an air conditioner for just one person in a huge building, which is probably not the most efficient way to spend money at the church, Right? And I also realized I was lonely. 
And I'm like, that's weird, because I kind of like being by myself sometimes, right? So I decided to go to a coffee house. There's a bunch of other reasons why. Part of it was missional. But I go to a coffee house, and I found this amazing truth that if you put earphones on at a coffee house, you are invisible. Nobody can see you. <laughs> if you take your earphones out, they can see you, and they will interrupt you and talk to you. So I, and the bigger the, the, the head, headphones the less people can see you. It's an amazing thing that God has done. But here's the thing. I needed both of those things. Some days I put my earphones in and I would focus and I'm studying, but other days I would take my earphones out and I would connect and I made friends. It's just, it's amazing. I was missional because the moment people find out I'm a pastor, all of a sudden they're the best Christians you ever met in your entire life because they were raised in the South to be moral, right? That's typical. Not always nowadays, but that was typical. But when, they, when I was there, they didn't know what I did, and they built relationship with me, and they're like, what kind of job do you have that you're here all the time? And I said, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> right? And so the whole picture is I get this beautiful connection with people around me, and I learned that even if the people don't talk to me, just having people around me energized me. I didn't need, them to, I didn't need to go deep. I do need that, by the way. Um, in my personal life, but I didn't need it at the coffee house. But my point is, I discovered that I wasn't lonely anymore. But that's also a danger, because online, there's a picture of friendship, right? You have friends on Facebook, you, you know, you get it. You have followers, you're a follower. The, the, this, there's this lie that says all those people you are intimate with. You are not. They know what kind of food you eat, because you guys take pictures of your food for some reason. I don't know why, but you do it. We didn't do that when I was growing up because it cost money to develop film, right? You didn't take pictures of your mashed potatoes. You just didn't do it. Now it's free. <laughs> but here's the thing. You, you, when you get into this situation, if you're not careful, you buy into the lie that you have a ton of friends when you have none. None. That we, there was a poll recently with teenagers, and they found that, that the average teenager had 300 friends online and one to none personal friends offline. Now, thankfully, that's not true of most teenagers in, in, at DCF. But here, that's the danger. You fall into a lie that the enemy says, oh, you're good. You are not good. And it's going to end badly because it sneaks up on you. It's not one massive thing that happens to you. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. And one day you wake up and you got no friends. I was watching an interview with a psychiatrist. who, who acts, He's on a journey to discover Jesus um, he's a clinical psychiatrist, and, he, and one of the things he pushes and challenges is that we need people. That it turns out that we were designed, even though he believed in evolution, that we were designed to be around other people. That we, it's a need we have, right? And so the woman who's interviewing him says, well, you know, one of the things you say is that the problem with women is they get into these, this desire to go after a career, but women were desired to want to have babies and want to be in community. And so Obviously, she made it look as badly as she could, and she's in her 30s, and she said, you know, I, truthfully, I have a wonderful life. I'm, I have a busy career. I'm excited about what I do. I'm, I don't have problems with not having friends or kids or whatever that, and he just said, yeah, today. And it was so powerful. He said, because you're 30. But he says, one day, you're going to be 50, and then you're going to be 60, and you have no children, you have no spouse, you have no deep friendships, and you will be alone. But it's not going to happen today. You know why? Your career 
you, you found value in your career, and it's wonderful, but one day you're going to retire, and then what are you going to do? We watch the same thing happen with, with parents who have kids who have no relationship in their home. They have no, no marriage but they, because they give all their love and their attention and their busy lives to their children. And, it, and it's, it's a travesty because the Bible clearly says that the marriage relationship, and I know I'm going to get feedback from this, I don't care, the marriage relationship is bigger than the relationship you have with your kids. This is God's design. You know how I know it? He said, you'll leave your father and your mother and you will cleave to your spouse. And then one day, your kids are all about you. You're all about your kids. And then one day you grow up and your kids go off to college, start their own life, get married, whatever. They left you. (laughs) And if you're still living your life vicariously through your children, you will have no marriage. And what will happen is you've been married for 20 to 25 years and you will be in a divorce. Why? Death by a thousand paper cuts. And so I'm challenging this morning to do something about the connection. You have to be intentional. The second thing is protection. And we're kind of already there, but here's the scripture. We know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. <laughs> and God says you owe no debt at all. He's taking care even of the debt of over sin. You owe no debt except one debt. Romans talks about this other places. You owe a debt of love. That's what you owe. You owe a debt of connection to your fellow man. That's what God has called you to, right? But it's held in tension because here's the thing. Protection and covering is wonderful. It's a beautiful place to feel safe, right? We've felt that many times. But listen to the scripture. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians. It says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many memorized that scripture in kids' church? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody, right? So here's the thing. Some people love this scripture. They're like, yeah, kick you in the butt. Come on, get to work, right? <laughs> so there's a place that says, hey, there's protection for you. If you, if you lose your job, there are people who will gather around you and help you. You are not going to go hungry. If you are in relationship with people at this church, you are not going to go hungry. It's just not going to happen, right? And we've seen, that hap- seen God work that way in so many people's lives. But here's the challenge. In a community that's different from the world's community is there is a responsibility not just for you to be protected, but you to protect. There's an expectation that you come in as a baby, but you leave as an adult, right? That you come in with tremendous needs in your life. Of course you do. You're broken. You're hurting in every way. You come into the body of Christ with with tremendous needs. But at some point, those needs need to be met. At some point, quit making excuses for being an immature child in the kingdom. Paul said, by now, you ought to be teachers, but I'm having to teach you again the foundational things. Why? It's time to grow up, right? Why? Because as long as you stay a child, you can't help anybody else. And God's expectation is you are reconciled. Your heart is changed, and then you begin to mature and become a son, a fully mature son who has an inheritance in him and through him. So no longer are you coming to church or coming to small group or coming into relationships to have your own needs met. They will be. It's beautiful. There's certain needs, no matter how mature you are, they're still there, and they'll be met that way. But at some point, you grow into maturity, and what you find is you find you bring your strength 
to people who need your strength. There's a really interesting scripture in Proverbs that says, if you, let's see if I can get it right. I've quoted it in a long time. If you fall in the day of diversity, um, you'll discover that your strength is weak. Duh, like duh should be in the Bible, right? Like, of, of course. What? And, it, and all it's doing, it's just an observation. It says what, what's, what it's saying is, if you recognize that you keep falling, you ought to pay attention to why you keep falling. <laughs> and then do something about it. For some of you guys, that means you're going to have to become vulnerable and you've never been vulnerable before. Or you were vulnerable and you were devastated. So I'm not putting myself out there anymore because I got hurt. It's a perfect plan of the enemy to destroy you. So what are, what are the chances if you put yourself out there, you're going to get hurt? They're really good. <laughs> I wish that weren't true. There's a chance. that you get, The more mature we are as a body of believers, the less chance that you're going to get hurt in these scenarios. So find a healthy community. Don't just, you can't just be in any community, right? Be in a healthy one. Why? Because when you do, there's protection that comes, but there's a drive that challenges you. This is what you were. It's time to step up and receive what God has for you. Here's just another scripture, and then I'll wrap this up. Before that, this is 2 Thessalonians. He writes, if, if a man doesn't work, you ought not eat, right? Quit being busy, I mean, busybodies, and get busy. So this is what he wrote previously. There was a previous admonition to this church about this same challenge that people are idle. He says, and this is 1 Thessalonians 4. So this is the admonition that he's already written before, and they hadn't done it. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, Right? Don't make waves, just lead a quiet life, it's fine. And he said, you should mind your own business and work with your hands. What an admonition. Man, some churches need to hear, some of you need to hear, I need to hear this. Sometimes you just need to mind your own business and work with your hands. Quit being a busybody, quit getting in people's lives in the wrong way, right? Quit needing all the support and become a support to others. Grow up in your faith. This is what he says. Last of he says, just as we told you, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So what he's saying is you should grow up to the point where you are bringing your strength, not always needing somebody else's. Now that's tough to hear, and I know it. I know it is. But at some point, the Bible says, if we do this, the world will look at us and go, Wow, that's different. That's different. There's maturity. There's hope. There's something going on here that we haven't seen before. There's, these people are bringing strength to the broken. The broken are finding wholeness, and then the whole people are making people whole. You ever heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people? Well, whole people make people whole. So we're protected when we're weak by the community, yet we are made strong by the community if we will listen and receive what the community has to say. So sometimes the community is going, hey, I don't know if you know this, but, <laughs> right? I, I've shared this before. My aunt and my mom taking me somewhere one time, and I was chatty Kathy in the back seat, and my aunt said, does he ever shut up? And my mom said, no, he does not ever shut up, right? And so I remember, I was probably seven, I remember that, and I, and I was hurt by that. You know why? Because God made me to talk. He made me a communicator. I was doing it poorly. I was seven, for God's sake. Right? But if I'm 
17 or 27 or 47, and I'm still doing that, then my aunt needs to say, buddy, you just need to shut up. It's time to grow up, right? Quit using your strength to build your own ego and use your strength to build other people up. The authority that God has given me, Paul said it this way, was never to tear you down but to build you up. Every strength that you have, God has given so you can build other people up with it. Lastly, it's going to bring growth. If you are part of a small group, you're going to grow. You know why? Because you're going to get in situations where there is tension. (laughs) And you're going to have to deal with it. And let's be honest, at first you're going to deal with it poorly. But anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly at first. Because it's the only way you're ever going to do anything well. Understand that truth. So friction, disagreement, and healthy conflict resolution is the picture of what church life, what community, what fellowship is supposed to look like, right? Tension doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. I already said this. But it means something's happening. So let me finish with the concept of being missional, and I'm done. Um, There was a recent study. A question was asked, what or who was responsible for you coming to Christ? 81% of the people said they came to Christ through a friend or relative. Not YouTube, not Instagram, not Facebook, not Billy Graham, not the pastor. (laughs) 81% of the people said the way I came to know Jesus was through a relationship with a friend or with a family member. Now let's be honest about this. If they were a very broken friend, or a very broken family member, how many people you think would come to Christ that way? Probably not that many. God will still use people even though they're broken. That's obvious. But how much more could God use you if he wasn't having to use you in spite of yourself? (laughs) Right? What would it look like if you said, you know what, we're going to build such a community in our church. One, it's not going to be closed. Right? Because Jesus said, go make disciples. How do you make disciples? You cannot make disciples without relationship. You can't just do a study. You can't just go online. You can't just go to school for this and become a disciple. Jesus, when he made disciples, he chose 12 guys. Go look at this. Very different people. Very different people. And he said, I'm going to throw them in together and see what happens. That's the church. Some of them, well, all of them in the beginning, very broken couple of them were politically motivated, and when it came up, they said, hey, Jesus, who gets to sit at your right hand? (laughs) Hey, Jesus, when you go away, who's in charge of the kids? I'm the older brother. Give it to me so I can beat them down like the dogs they are, right? If you're you're an older sibling, you know what I'm talking about. And, And Jesus would say, that's not how this works. He said, if you're going to lead in this community, here's what you do. You serve the most. You want to be the greatest of all in the community. You serve the most. And then Jesus demonstrated it. And he said, I'm going to give my life away as a ransom for many. And my challenge for you this morning is as we go into these small groups, as we go into these community groups, first of all, join a community group. I'm too busy. You're you're not. If you're too busy to be part of God's community, you are just too busy. Take something else out of your life 
so that you can make time for the I don't have time is an excuse. It's not the truth. Make time. Make time. And here's the thing about these things. They're not urgent, but they're incredibly important in the same sense that, you know, I, the, the, the guy who's talking to the woman, he said, you're happy now, but in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s, you're going to be alone. So it's not hurting you now. You can get by without community because you're busy and you got other things. And, you know, I mean, goodness, nothing else. I'm just going to take a nap. Yeah, that's great. And it's a short-term fix. But if you want to see the fulfillment of everything God's doing in you and doing through you and other people, this is the way to do it. And part of that is if we build a community like this, that's full of healthy and whole people who are bringing people through to their strength, who are challenging them, it's, it's not okay to stay a baby. It's time to get off the milk and begin to eat strong food. And that means deal with your crap. Deal with your challenges. Listen, you come in here, you're depressed and discouraged all the time. At some point, you're going to have to believe the truth that Jesus is bigger than that, and you're going to have to take some steps to push back the darkness. Jesus has given you the ability to do this. Come on now, it's time. And that brings encouragement. Next thing you know, you push back against the lie that the enemy's been using you against you your entire life, and you never knew you could because nobody ever challenged you beyond where you already were. But if you join a small group, if you're part of a community, you're going to bring your strength to other people, and they are going to bring their strength to you. And we're going to grow up to be the church Jesus called us to be, and we're going to see people who don't know Christ come to know him because they long for that kind of community too. It's put inside them from the beginning. So I want you to stand with me. I know it's been a little bit challenging this morning, so you know, some of you guys are going to go, man, Dave's going to be mad if I'm not in a small group. No, I won't. <laughs> um, but I will challenge you and ask you why. It's not the right season for me. That's wonderful. If that's true, I'm super happy for you. I'm glad you brought that before the Lord, submitted to him, and that's what he told you. But outside of that, I don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I don't want to hear it. So if you heard the Lord tell you, don't be part of a small group, I'm super happy. Just, I love it. I trust you in Jesus. But too often what I discovered is people hide behind the pillars of truth. Well, I feel like the Lord has said this to me personally. And I look at you and go, well, I've read the Bible, and that's not what he says. And so now I'm challenging you to hear the voice of the Lord, to do something maybe you don't want to do, and maybe you've got some really good valid reasons that you need to deal with. But here's, here's what I'm saying. If you will do it, you will be the better for it. Because here's the truth. Walk away with this if you walk away with nothing else. That we were designed to be in relationship with one another. And our destinies and our purpose and our inheritance is through one another. God made us to need one another. You don't have to like it, but it's still the truth. So my challenge is submit to that truth. Learn the way God designed it. And when you get into this, say, God, I'm submitting myself to this plan you have for me to be in community. Don't exactly know what it looks like, but I'm willing to learn. And if you're open to that, as you step into these community groups, God is going to change your life, and you're going to walk in the fullness of your inheritance because this is how he designed for that inheritance to work through one another. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, thank you that you give us invitation always, that you paid for our sin, there's nothing in the way, and you call us, you bid us come and follow you. But part of following you, Jesus, is from time to time, you challenge us into arenas that we don't necessarily want to go. You're kind about it, Lord, but you are still challenging. And it's so difficult sometimes to push past that. 
But Lord, when we do, we see something in us that we never saw before. So Lord, would you do that through these community groups? Would you call us up to the purpose and the plan that you have for every single one of us to bring our strengths, Lord, to bear in a community where every good thing that you've done inside of us, the way you designed us, the way you made us, our personalities, our strengths, all those things, Lord, would begin to work towards making people whole, making people healed, Lord, bringing them into the fullness of the calling on their life. Lord, do that through us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.